As mentioned, we'll be continuing our study in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 16 can be broken up into four sections. First, we'll see Paul's return to Lystra, the Macedonian call, the conversion of Lydia, and Paul and Silas imprisoned. In this chapter, we see Luke come onto the scene for the first time, and we'll see himself continue to refer to himself on and on throughout the rest of the book. Luke is believed to be the author of the book, so we'll see in chapters, or in verses 10 through 18 of this chapter, that the language changes from them and they to us and we, telling us that Luke is present. This chapter marks the beginning of Paul's second missionary journey, believed to take place around 49 to 52 AD. At the end of chapter 15, we saw that Paul, Paul and Barnabas got into a disagreement. Barnabas was determined to have John Mark come with them, while Paul wanted to leave him behind. So we see that Paul decided to take Silas with him instead, and they departed separately. If you want to grab your Bibles, our main reading won't be on the PowerPoint. But we'll start reading uh, verses 1 through 4. Then came he to Derbe and Lystra, and behold, a certain disciple was there named Timotheus, the son of a certain woman which was a Jewess, and believed, but his father was a Greek, which was well reported of by the brethren that were at Lystra and Iconium. Him would Paul have to go forth with him, and took him and circumcised him because of the Jews that were there, were in their quarters, and for they knew that his father was a Greek. And as they went through the cities, they delivered them the decrees for to keep that were ordained of the apostles and elders which were at Jerusalem. So here in the first few, the first few verses, we already see a couple glaring questions come up. The first being is, why would Paul return to Lystra? If we recall in our, chap, in our study of chapter 14, Lystra is where Paul was stoned and left for dead. So why would he return? We know that Paul and the apostles were not strangers to persecution and putting themselves in harm's way for the gospel of Christ. We see in Acts 15, 26, refers to Paul and Barnabas as men that had hazarded their lives for the name of Jesus Christ. So we see that Paul returned to Lystra to visit the brethren that they had seen on their first missionary journey, specifically Timothy. Paul saw him as a valuable, valuable asset to the kingdom and was willing to put himself in harm's way in order to get Timothy. The New King James Version says that Timothy was well spoken of by the brethren. The same should be said of us today as Christians, that at school, at work, in the community, that we are well spoken of, that we are known as a Christian, and that our speech and our behaviors reflect the love of God. The second question that comes up is why did Paul have Timothy circumcised? If we remember in our study of Acts chapter 15 last week, the majority of this chapter was about this very disagreement. Visiting Jews had come in from Antioch and were preaching that circumcision was essential to salvation. And we see that the apostles and the elders there at Jerusalem got together and reminded the people that no, it was not essential. And part of this very journey we see in verse 4 of this chapter was to deliver this decree to the people. So why was Timothy circumcised? I believe we find the answer 
in 1 Corinthians 9, verse 20 through 22. Paul speaking, And to the Jews I became as a Jew, that I might win the Jews. To those who are under the law, as under the law, that I might win those who are under the law. And to those who are without law, as without law, not being without law towards God, but under law towards Christ, that I might win those who are without law. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. Paul was doing whatever he could to be relatable and to save more souls. He knew that circumcision was not necessary for Timothy's sanctification or justification. But Paul didn't want anything standing in their way. He didn't want anything being a stumbling block to the Jews. He didn't want something slowing them down from reaching more souls. We need to do what we can today to be relatable and to be approachable. Looking for ways to connect to others so that we can tell them about Christ. Not that we compromise our own beliefs or commit sin in order to do so, but that we relate with others our struggles, sharing our hardships so that we can battle our sins and our shortcomings together. I suppose it was well within Timothy's rights to refuse Paul, say, no, I'm not going to do this. This is in no way essential to my salvation. I can continue to preach the gospel and still save some souls without doing this. But he chose to lay down his right to make that sacrifice for the furtherance of God's kingdom. We all have things that we can lay down that would strengthen our walk with Christ. We all have things that we could sacrifice that would help us in saving others. We'll continue our reading in verses 5 through 10. And so were the churches established in the faith and increased in number daily. Now when they had gone throughout Frisia and the regions of Galatia, they were forbidden of the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. After they were come to Mysia, they essayed to go, with, go into Bithynia, but the Spirit suffered them not. And they passed by Mysia, come down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night that stood a man of Macedonia and preached him, saying, Come unto Macedonia and help us. And after he had seen this vision, immediately he endeavored to go to Macedonia, assuredly gathered that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel unto them. So we see after various attempts to go different places, they received a vision calling them to Macedonia. And we see that this was not to visit churches that they had already established, but to continue to preach the gospel where they had not been. So they moved west into Europe, continuing to fill, fulfill the great commission of preaching and preaching into all the world the gospel. We'll continue in verses 11 and 12. Therefore, loosing from Troas, they came with a straight course to Simotheus, and the next day to Neopolis, and from thence to Philippi, which was the chief city in which which was the chief city of this part of Macedonia and a colony, and they were in that city abiding certain days. This here in verse 12 just lets us know that um, Philippi was a Roman colony, thus they were under Roman rule. We'll continue in verses 13 through 15. And on the Sabbath day we went out of the city by the riverside, where prayers were wont to be made, and we sat down and spake unto the women which gathered thither. And a certain woman caught named Lydia, a seller of purple, 
in, of the city of Thyresia, which worshiped God, heard us, whose heart the Lord opened, and she attended unto the things were spoken of Paul. And when she was baptized in her household, she besought us, saying, If ye have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come into my house and abide there. And she constrained us. So typically upon entering a city, Paul would wait until the Sabbath day and then go into the synagogue knowing that he would find the Jews there praying. Since we don't see mention of a synagogue, it's likely that the Jewish population here in Philippi was not large enough to warrant the building of a synagogue. So instead, Paul seeks places of prayer that he can find people to teach to. And by Riverside, he finds Lydia. And we see that her and her whole household are the first converts that we read of in Philippi. From these verses, we see that Lydia heard the gospel, she believed, confessed her belief in God, and was baptized. And we see that she invites Paul and Silas to stay with her as they continue their journey in Philippi. Verses 16 and 17. And it came to pass, as we went to pray, a certain damsel possessed with a spirit of deviation met us, which brought her masters much gain by soothsaying. And the same followed Paul and us, and cried, saying, These men are the servants of the Most High God, which show unto us the way of salvation. We see that as they continued, a woman possessed with a demon followed them. Her masters were using her for monetary gain because she was a soothsayer or a fortune teller. I'd like to point out that the demon knew who God was and knew of his saving power. As it says, these men are the servants of the Most High God, which show unto us the way of salvation. James 2 verse 19 says, You believe that there is one God, you do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. Even the demons believe and tremble, yes. The devils believe and recognize the power of God. In our lives, it's not enough for us to just say that we believe, that we believe. To say that we believe when, none of, when nothing else we do, none of our actions convey that belief to others. Keeping it to ourselves when nothing else reflects, reflects Christ. Do we recognize God's power and his saving ability? Or do we get so wrapped up in our worldly lives that we forget God and, that all, and all that he's done for us? Like Timothy, the way we live should reflect our faith in Christ, and our belief should be evident in all the things that we do. Psalms 33, verse 8. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the earth stand in awe of him. When we really take the time to stop and consider the price that, the price that Christ paid for us, that he gave his life and suffered such a horrible death, that should stir in us a sense of awe, and cause us to respond in love and obedience to his will. He is an awesome God, and we need to recognize his greatness and show respect. And we do that by glorifying him and honoring him in everything that we do, so much that others see Christ living in us. Verse 18 of chapter 16. And this did she many days, but Paul, being grieved, turned and said to the Spirit, I command thee in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her, and he came out the same hour. So we see that Paul finally got tired of this, and he had this spirit cast out of the woman. But we'll, as we continue reading, we'll see that this upset her masters. Let's continue in verses 19 through 25. 
And when her masters saw that the hope of their gains was gone, they caught Paul and Silas and drew them into the marketplace unto the rulers and brought them to the magistrates, saying, These men, being Jews, do exceedingly trouble our city and teach customs which are not lawful for us to receive, neither to observe, being Romans. And then the multitude rose up together against them, and the magistrates rent off their clothes and commanded to beat them. And when they had laid many stripes upon them, they cast them into the prison, charging the jailer to keep them safely, who, having received such a charge, thrust them into the inner prison and made their feet fast in the stocks. And at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises to God, and the prisoners heard them. After casting this demon out of this woman, Paul and Silas were unjustly accused, having no trial. They were beaten, thrown into the innermost part of the prison, the coldest and the darkest part of the prison, and their feet were placed in stocks. Still having open wounds that were dirty and exposed, how do we see that they responded? By praying and singing praises to God, praising so loud that the other prisoners heard them. Ultimately, we know that it was their faith and trust in God that led them to do this. Hebrews 11, verse 6, But without faith it is impossible to please him, for he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them who diligently seek him. When we face hardship or low points in our life, how do we respond? Do we complain, have self-pity, or even question God? Our faith and trust in God should ultimately be what leads us to praise and to pray to him during these times. Because we know it's only with God, we know it's only through God that we have hope of getting through those trials. That we have hope of overcoming them. That we lean on him and seek him even more. As we read in Hebrews, he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Let's read what Paul says in 2 Timothy 4 verse 7 through 8. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Finally, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that last day. And not, only, not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Through all the hardship that Paul faced in his life, he kept fighting, knowing that there was a crown waiting for him, waiting for him in heaven, and that that would be his great reward. Difficulty often discourages us. It causes us to lose focus on God's will. The slightest things can bend us out of shape. But we need to not take these small things so personally and realize the bigger picture. Keeping a spiritual mindset, knowing that if we continue to fight, if we keep the faith and finish the race, we are promised a home in heaven. In Acts 16, Paul and Silas sang so loud that the other prisoners heard them allowing them to be a positive influence on them. So in our lives, when others see how, we correctly, as, see how we as Christians correctly handle adversity, it will allow us to be a positive influence on others, giving us an opportunity to teach them the gospel. Let's continue in verse 26 through 28. <coughs> Who having received such a charge, thrust them in... No, <laughs> sorry. Yeah, 26 and 28. I was just on the wrong verse. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundation of the prisons were shaken, and immediately all the doors were open, 
and everyone's bands were loosed. And the keeper of the prison, awaking out of his sleep and seeing that the prisoner's doors open, he drew out his sword and would have killed himself, supposing, supposing that the prisoners had fled. But Paul cried out with a loud voice, saying, Do thyself no harm. We read that there was a great earthquake, so great that it loosened their bands and brought the prison doors open. The jailkeeper, seeing what had happened and assuming that the prisoners was, were gone, found himself in a hopeless position. His only gods were Caesar and the Roman Empire. He didn't have that faith and hope that we just talked about. As a non-believer, he did not have that faith. And no greater, he had no greater purpose in life. But we see that Paul and Silas were about to change that. Verse 29 through 34. Then he called for a light and sprang in and came trembling and fell down before Paul and Silas and brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved in thy house. And they spake unto him the words of God, the Lord, and to all that were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes, and they were baptized, he and all his straightway. And when they, he had brought them into the house, they set me before them and rejoiced, believing in God with all his house. Paul, Paul and Silas showed great compassion by coming back for the jailkeeper. I believe the jailer realized the power of God. He heard their praises. He saw what had happened, and he knew that this wasn't just a regular, old, old, a regular earthquake, but that it was the power of God, because he immediately hits his knees and asks, what must I do to be saved? He was fearful for his life and for his spiritual salvation. We read that they took him, they taught him the word of God, and he and all his household were baptized. I believe it's important to notice that the Bible says the same hour of the night he was baptized. That straightway he and his family were baptized. Straightway here means instantly or immediately. So why was this so urgent? Why didn't Paul just say it's been a long emotional night, a long 24 hours, let's get some rest and we'll address this baptism in the morning or later in the week? He didn't say, oh, well, you've already believed. There's no other steps that need to be made. Let's read Romans 6, verses 1 through 6. What shall I say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who are dead to sin live any longer in it? Or do we not know that as, much, that as many of us that were baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? Therefore you were buried with him, therefore... Therefore you were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so ye also should walk in newness of life. For if ye, were, if ye have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. Paul didn't hesitate to have them baptized because he knew it was essential for salvation. In Romans 6, we see how baptism directly correlates with Jesus' death on the cross his burial, and his resurrection. Our old man is crucified on the cross. We are buried with him in baptism, putting on Christ. Rising to walk a new man. Rising on the third day, just as Jesus did, as a new man. No longer slave to sin, leaving behind our past life. Putting on Christ and being washed in his blood. If you have been taught, if you believe in Jesus, and if you are ready to repent 
from your past sins and ready to walk a life with Christ. Confessing Jesus as your Savior, don't hesitate to be baptized. Don't put it off any longer. We know we aren't promised another day. Looking back at our story in chapter 16, once the prison doors flew open, Paul and Silas were free. They had been greatly mistreated, and for all they knew, if they stayed any longer, they could likely have been thrown back into jail. Paul and Silas came back for the jailkeeper because they were truly concerned about the state of this man's soul and his salvation. I'd like to, for us to consider ourselves and ask, do we have a concern for the souls of others? I also ask, what is your most valuable possession? We work so hard in this life to make more money, and often we use that money to buy more stuff, and hopefully that stuff will make us more money. We value our cars, we value our homes, but on the last day we know that, that all this will be done away with, and the only thing that remains is our soul. And we know that Christ Jesus died on the cross for our soul, so that when this world is over, we have an opportunity to spend eternity with him. So we know that our soul is our most valuable possession. Matthew 16, verse 24 through 26. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whosoever loses his life for mine sake will find it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? Jesus makes the point that we profit nothing when we strive for things of this world and lose our soul in the process. So naturally, it's easy for us to care for our own soul, to value our own soul. But do we have that same concern for the souls of others? Do we love others enough to care where their soul spends eternity? Matthew 28, verses 19 through 20. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. We have been given the same commandment that Paul and Silas were given, to fulfill the Great Commission, to go into all the world and preach the gospel. As Van did a great job conveying this morning, it is crucial that we play a part in evangelism recognizing that our greatest mission on this earth is to bring other souls to Christ, to be a soul winner. And we may not be able to physically do the footwork, to do the teaching, but there are many ways for us to be involved, whether that's financially, whether it's through prayer, whether it's letting our light shine so that we are positive influence on others. Paul and Silas influenced the jailer, who we know went on to influence the rest of his family, and they were all saved. By impacting one life, they were able to save many. Andrew is a, man that is, not, is a man that is not mentioned much in scriptures. But we see that P Andrew is the one that brought Peter to Christ. Andrew might not be known for much, but he saved Peter, who we know went on to be very influ influential in the early church. On the day of Pentecost, it is recorded that over 3,000 obeyed the gospel after, Paul pre after Peter preached to them. So without Andrew planting that seed, many would be lost. So we today might have the opportunity to influence someone like Peter that goes on to teach many others. 
I'd like to think of it in terms that are personal to me, to think if somewhere down the line someone didn't tell my ancestors about Jesus Christ, I might not be a Christian today. That just goes to show that we have a wonderful opportunity to impact hundreds of lives, in or, but in order to fulfill that opportunity, we need to have a genuine concern for the souls of others. Let's continue our reading in verse 35 through the end of the chapter. And when it was day, the magistrates sent, sent the surgeon, saying, Let these men go. And the keeper of the prison told this saying to Paul, the magistrates have sent to let you go. Now therefore depart and go in peace. But Paul said unto them, They have beaten us openly, uncondemned, being Romans, and have cast us into prison, and now do they thrust us out privily? Nay, verily, but let them come themselves and fetch us out. And the surgeons told these words unto the magistrates, and they feared when they heard that they were Romans. And they came and besought them, and brought them out, and, desir and desired them to depart out of the city. And they went out of the prison and entered into the house of Lydia. And when they had seen the brethren, they comforted them and departed. As mentioned, Philippi was a Roman colony. And Paul and Silas, as Roman citizens, citizens had privileges of being exempt from scourging, from arrest, and were entitled to an appeal from a local magistrate. So we see that the magistrates sinned to let them go, but Paul says the magistrates have not give us, given us any of these privileges or our rights, and now they want to just send us on our way. He said, instead, let's have the magistrates come and fetch us out themselves. I can't say for sure why Paul didn't just take this simple release and leave and be on his way. Possibly it was so that this release would be, more would be more public if the magistrates came themselves and brought them out. And so more people would see that Paul and Silas were not in the wrong. Maybe it was so that they wouldn't be rushed out of the city and they could stop and visit with Lydia and the other new converts before they left town, as we read that they did. When studying this chapter and the story of Paul and Silas, a reoccurring theme continued to come up. That being that we need to live our lives in a way that truly reflects our faith. And w then we are motivated by our faith to do the will of our Father. When we carry that, this out, we can then be a godly influence to the people we come in contact, leading others to Christ, being a positive influence. In closing, I'd like to read a poem titled, Living the Way I Pray. I believe it really wraps up the things we have looked at tonight, and hopefully it will cause us to look at ourselves and see ways that we can make improvements. <clears throat> I knelt to pray when the day was done and prayed, O oh Lord, bless everyone. Lift from each heart the pain and let the sick be well again. And when I woke one day and carelessly went on my way, the whole day long I did not try to wipe a tear from any eye. I did not try to share the load of any brother on the road. I did not even go to see the sick man just next door to me. Yet once again, when the day was done, I prayed, O oh Lord, bless everyone. But as I prayed to my ear, there came a voice that whispered clear, Pause, hypocrite, before you pray. Whom have you tried to bless today? God's sweetest blessings always go by hands that serve him here below. And then I, had my, and then I hid my face and cried, Forgive me, Lord, forgive me, for I have lied. Let me but live another day, and I will live the way I pray. I'd like to offer the Lord's invitation at this time. If you've been sufficiently taught 
and desire to be baptized tonight. We ask that the God and the congregation pleads with you to not put that off, to take care of that tonight. Or if you have a desire and need, if you have a desire for help from the congregation and need the prayers of the church, please come as we stand and sing.